Hey, what's up? This is Sully from Godsmack. Strap on those boots, baby, because you are now in the trenches of the war room with the one and only Mistress Carrie right here on the Mistress Carrie podcast. What's up? This is Joe Rogan, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. I have so lovely pretty eyes. Hey, this is Brent from Shinedown, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hey, Carrie, go put your brow on, girl. Hey, this is Steven Tyler, and you'll be listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. What's up? This is Aaron from Stan. And you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hi, everybody. This is Dave Grohl from the Foo Fighters, and you're listening to the one, the only, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is David from the band Disturbed, and you're listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. Hi, Bruce Dickinson here from Iron Maiden. Yes, indeed. Miss Whiplash herself, Mistress Carrie, is here to um, unchain your brain. Hi, this is Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. This is Dennis Leary. You are listening to my favorite, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is Corey from Stone Sour, and you're listening to. You have the privilege of listening to Mr. Scary. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Hey, it's Mistress Carrie reporting for duty from MCHQ for episode 176 of the Mistress Carrie podcast. And before we get to this week's guest, Jason Hook from Flat Black, I want to remind you about all of the features of MistressCarrie.com. Not only can you find all the episodes of the Mistress Carrie podcast, but all of the episodes of my weekly video show, Cocktails in the War Room. You can also find my blog, my concert calendar, and you can shop in the online Mistress Carrie store. You can even send me a message. Just click the message the studio button at the top of the page. Find all that and more at MistressCarrie.com. Jason Hook is a guitar player that has played with everyone from Alice Cooper to Hilary Duff to Five Finger Death Punch and now has started a new band called Flat Black. Their debut album is coming out in early 2024, but I sat down with Jason to talk about the music, to talk about starting a new band during the pandemic, his friendship with Corey Taylor from Slipknot, songwriting, inspiration, and even his pet cats. Oh, we got into all of it. I've known Jason for years and got a chance to see him earlier this year in Vegas, where he announced Flat Black as a band. And judging by the reaction of the first couple singles, this band is here to stay. They've been out on the road with Godsmack and now are making plans to release their full-length debut album and are planning on being out on the road all of next year. I was super excited that he agreed to be on the show. So, allow me to introduce you to Jason Hook from Flat Black. Mr. Jason Hook, in the concrete bunker, how are you? Good, good, good. Somebody just walked in and distracted me. Are they trying to interrupt you while you're trying to talk to me? It, it, it is sort of the nature of doing this kind of thing on a tour because there's only so many places I can go. But, you know, we have our whole crew, so people are always moving around. We'll deal with it, though. You're on the... Uh... You're on the road with some good friends of mine, Godsmack. So I was going to say if it was Sully and the guys. No. Give them a finger for me. Uh, you know, I, uh, it's funny because we, I've actually made great friends with these guys over the course of this tour. Like I, I already knew Shannon a little bit and of course Sully. But, um, you know, I talked to Robbie, the bass player, and I, uh, you know, we're texting all day, every day. It's really, I mean, he's just such a sweet guy. And they're all sweet guys. Shannon's just amazing. He came in the first day that we were on tour and sat and talked to us for almost three hours, <laughs> you know, uh, which is great. You know, it's a, it's a very fun and family oriented environment out here. 
Well, those guys are hometown heroes for us. So we go way, 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 way back. And you're a motorcycle rider. Those guys ride bikes. Robbie and his dirt bikes. I'm sure you guys have plenty to talk about besides music. Yes. You know, it's funny. We did talk. I had five motorcycles at one point, but I follow like we have a community Facebook page or something. And then uh, where we live and, um, you know, like every week someone's getting killed on a motorcycle. So my uh, my wife, my business manager said, let's kill. Let's get rid of the motorcycles. And I was like, yeah, because even the most minor injury for someone in my position is devastating. Well, yeah, I mean, especially your face and your fingers like they're kind of important. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like all this is very fragile stuff. So as someone that survived a motorcycle accident and had to have their face rebuilt, trust me, I get it. Yeah. Wow. Really? eh? Yeah. I I had a helmet on, but it was open face. And so I had to have all this part of my face rebuilt. And that was one of the things I'm not a singer, but I use my voice for work. And I was like, is this going to affect my voice? It's freaky. And what, what what year was that? Uh, the accident was September of 2015. Okay, 2015. That's quite a long time ago. Yeah, so I'm I'm good. Everything's fine now, but I go back and look at those pictures. And I wear a full face helmet all the time now. No kidding. Oh, yeah. I used to, too, on my Harley. And all my other guys would have the novelty helmets that are, like, you know, paper thin. And just because it's cool, I'm like, uh, it can go bad so quickly. I, I'd rather protect myself, you know. Yeah. Well, it's, it's one of those things where you have to sacrifice something to do what you do. Right. That's what I was trying Yeah. And like, I'm a skydiver too. And I've been trying to get my friends that are musicians to go jumping with me. And they're like, do you know what my record company and band manager would say if they found out I was jumping out of an airplane with you? No freaking way. Yeah. We, uh, we were skiing a few winters in, um, in Vegas, actually, you can ski in Vegas. You go far enough up, up the uh, mountain. Um, but again, too, I mean, you can really hurt yourself skiing. So I kind of gave that up too. I... So now, it's, now it's just pro tools and podcasts. <laughs> I, um, growing up in new England, I'm very spoiled as the Godsmack guys are about the changing of the seasons and all of that stuff. And having recently been in Vegas again, because there's a lot of rock convention stuff that happens there, which is where I saw you last earlier this year. I am always amazed by the heat that you are able to sustain at certain times of the year and the ability to exist and be functional in such close proximity to all of the craziness that Vegas has to offer. Well, that's it's a viable question. I I think the answer for for me is uh, well, first of all, it doesn't matter if it's 115 degrees outside. Yes, that can be uncomfortable. It's a cool 68 in my studio. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know. Uh, but it, but when you do leave the house and you get that like inhale of the blow dryer air, you're just like, man, oh man. And then God forbid, if you have to park your uh, car outside anywhere, you can't even, you're like driving like this, <laughs> you know, it gets so hot. But, you get the uh, leather seats and you burn your butthole trying to sit down. Yes. Um, it, it, it does get crazy. That kind of temperature. Like when I had my, I had a boat down at the lake and, uh, I was going down there to, to, um, 
hang out on the boat and it's like you can't even touch the boat like it's like uh, sitting there baking in 115 but um and the other part of your question was how do i we don't indulge we don't mess with the the chaos and the mayhem uh weekend warrior activity that vegas is um i'm tucked away up on the far corner of the city out of the way of that i was just in vegas recently and i went and saw Corey taylor and he was like, oh, it's so nice to be home. And as soon as the show was over, he's like, I got to go home. I just want to be in the quiet. Is that what you do too? You get off the road, you get home, you just lock yourself in the house? Um, yes and no. I mean, look, a- after any tour, there's a, there's a, a mandatory need to decompress. <clears throat> but, you know, I, I, I do interact a little bit. It's funny they mentioned Corey because I think I watched a little bit of the, the, the episode. I was checking out you online and saw that he had done the show. Um, uh, Corey lives like eight minutes down the street from me. Your and neighborhood is awesome. He's, he's in a, 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 an extra awesome part of our pocket of the city. But, um, uh, you know, uh, I met Corey, well, I've met Corey over the years, but we sort of developed a friendship in 2020 and, uh, and only cause you brought this up, um, you know, my wife and and Alicia and Corey, we sort of b- became friends. And Corey, Corey actually co-wrote a song on the new Flat Black record. Um, and uh, I mean, he's he's just such an incredible talent. I've never met anyone like this guy. You know, and he was very gracious. You know, after I left my previous situation, you know, there was a lot of emotions and doubt and uncertainty and all that stuff. And he was. He was that one guy said, dude, you're going to be fine, dude. I, you know, I know what you're capable of and just keep plugging, man. And so, and then on top of that, he wrote, we wrote five songs together. And so he was, he was, uh, he really turned into the friend that I needed at that moment, which I am forever grateful uh, for him and Alicia. You know, they're really wonderful people. Dave Grohl told me years ago in an interview that he's the best vocalist he ever worked with in the studio. He is a sick motherfucker. I know. I know. He, and he does like one or two takes tops. That's He's what like, Dave Grohl said. Roll it. Just roll it. You know, <laughs> he just nails it from top to bottom. But he's that good, you know. Right. Like, you know, they're, um, he's a unicorn. You know, you just don't find guys like that. Um, and, uh, of, of course, deep down inside, I was like, God, I would love to do a project with Corey or make a new band. But I, what's he up to? Like eight bands now? How many Something bands? Like is he? That. Yeah. And books and tours. Yeah. And he just and, bought the comic and he's got movies like. Well, he doesn't need me, but I, <laughs> I had fantasized, I had fantasized about, you know, us doing something together. And, uh, but I can't complain. He's on the record. He was gracious enough to, uh, write with me and then, uh, uh, donate his vocal for the one track that we used on the record. So I'm forever grateful and happy. It would be a lot easier if he were a dick, but he's all of those things <laughs> and he's awesome. Yeah, he's a role model. Yeah. He's a fucking sick ass icon, talented guy. Love it. You and I have, have ridden this kind of crazy roller coaster together without really even knowing about it over the last three and a half years. And I bring it up because Corey gave me the same advice that he gave you is that right around the time you left your last band, WAF, the station that was a big part of your former band coming up, got sold. 
Okay. And one of the first calls I made when I relaunched my career and launched the podcast and the new radio shows and all of that was to Corey. Okay. And he was that guy that said the exact same thing. You're going to be fine. It's going to uh, work out. Things are going to be good. And three and a half years later, both of us getting the same advice from the same guy. Now I'm sitting here, your new band, new album on the way, my new shows and everything. It's kind of crazy that we got the same advice from the same guy. And here we are together. Well, maybe that's why I was... He, the guy inspires me, and I think I think um, uh, I think the, the the people that I gravitate towards and that I try to emulate are mentally healthy, healthy and spiritually healthy, and are interested, are at peace with themselves. But after you've had the kind of success that that he's had, and and somewhat that I've had, the only thing left after you've experienced all that stuff is. Um, how do I help other people? How do I inspire somebody to take the step to make, to take, to take a risk, to, to invest in something with uncertainty? Um, it can work. It can work. You just have to be laser focused and, and just persevere. You you know, you just, if you focus in on something you want, just keep grinding until you get it. Eventually it will show up. You know, and I think a lot of people are just like, it won't happen. And I don't get, I'm not lucky like he is and all that stuff. It's all horseshit, right? So what, at my age, what I'm into is I want to inspire people. I want to tell them like, it. I was, I was you, you know, we're, we all started at zero. We all start at zero, you know, um, but some break through and why, why do we break through, you know? And so my, at, at my age, I'm, I'm just trying to make sure that, if, if somebody needs a, a lift, I'll be there for them, you know, help them. It's kind of crazy that you and I had kind of the same pandemic because I talked to a lot of bands that they either use the time to get back in touch with their families and become better dads. You know, I interviewed Corey in the height of the pandemic. He was putting patio furniture together as a newlywed. Like everybody had their ah. own experience. Yeah. But then there were the bands that worked on music and you and I we're completely reinventing our careers in our basements and bunkers during the height of the pandemic. I coming out of it with my show and stuff, and you have got this whole new band. You've completely reinvented your career. Yes, I have. Well, again, um, for whatever reason, I am the luckiest guy in the whole world. I, For whatever reason, I always land on my feet. And, um, and a lot of it has to ju just, it's guitar playing music and all that stuff. Uh, you know, um, I don't give up on myself. So in, in truth be told, the pandemic afforded you and myself a time to like, we were forced to go, okay, well, nothing's happening anywhere. So there's, there is not that additional pressure of watching the entire world moving forward and being active and all that stuff. And cause that, that also can be daunting as, or, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit intimidating, you know, when you see everyone else that's still moving and active and, but the whole world shut down. So, you know, people like yourself and myself was like, okay, well, nobody's expecting anything from us. So let's think about what, what do I want to build? And I've got tons of time to do it. I can't even, we couldn't even go to the gym, you know, like everything was closed. So 
you know, it kind of worked out well, I think, for me, just having that the whole world pause for a second because um, I needed it. Yeah, me too. Just trying and to figure out, like, like, what am I going to do next? Because for me, I, I had to really decide, like, is this the time and I'm going to change my career? Right. I think when you have a I think when you have a, a skill and the diverse career that you have had being a guitar player and having played for so many different artists, I think it would have been a little more obvious for you that you weren't going to end up an Amazon driver during the pandemic. They were like, I'm going to play this guitar. I just don't know where and how yet. But this is what's going to happen. Well, it's it's the same job. It's the same duty that I've always had, like even in the previous band. Um, I really, really cared about those records. And so I wasn't just thinking about those records when it was time to make the record. I was thinking about them all year long, you know, and uh, logging ideas, trying to write this, trying to like be pre prepared for the records. Uh, so when we talk about Flat Black, um, it was just a natural progression. It, it almost just felt like, okay, it's time to make the next record for maybe like the previous band. It, it, I'm, I was, I'm in a routine, you know? Is it okay that we say Five Finger Death Punch just so that people listening when we're talking yeah. about the previous band is just... Oh, yeah, I, I don't... There's there's no um, there's no animosity there. There's nothing there. I just, you know, it's like everything. Um, over time, relationships and policies change you know with extreme success popularity finances comes uh, it affects egos and personalities and roles and all that stuff and i ask bands all the time is it is it more difficult to be in a band or to be in a marriage i've never had anybody say marriage no because with a marriage if there's a problem you only have to work it out between the other party in a band, you could be solid with this guy, but it's still a mess with him. It's okay with him. It's a mess with this guy. So you, it's of course, it's way harder. It's like having four wives. But in this case, in Flat Black's case, very deliberately, I wanted to make it a four-piece. You know, being I grew up, my favorite bands were always four-piece bands. You know, I loved uh, Pantera. I loved um, Van Halen. Queen, Led Zeppelin, you know, like Kiss, Beatles. It just never made sense, you know, to be the, the type of guitar player that I want to be. Um, there's no room. There's no room. For <laughs> I love that you're cracking yourself up. <laughs> no, but I don't desire to hear another guitar player. Right. You want to be I'm the guy. I'm going to take up that entire fucking space. There's no, you know, I'm taking the whole fucking space. As somebody and that's I, been on the radio for 25 years and never had a co-host, I totally get it. Okay, right. And it's it's not a mean thing. It's not an angry thing. It's just I desire to create parts that will occupy that middle space of the music. So we got the foundation, the bass, the drums, all the harmonies and the vocals and all that stuff. But I design what I'm going to do to occupy that entire space. So I was very adamant about making a four-piece four band. During know? the pandemic, I binged a lot of rock documentaries, and I saw you on Hired Guns. And I talked to Richard Patrick from Filter recently, who did not have a lot of nice things to say about that. I bring it up because for anybody that may have not been familiar with your previous band, 
they might not have any idea how diverse of a career you've had playing for pop artists like Mandy Moore and icons like Alice Cooper. Like you've kind of tasted all the flavors of music Yes. And really have been able to go, okay, this is what I like best and take that into flat black. hundred percent. I couldn't have said it better. You know, I think of like my musical journey is your education. That's it. I didn't care if it makes sense to other people that I played with Hillary Duff. I don't give a shit if that doesn't make sense to other people. I'm succeeding with what I set out to do. And when I played with Hillary, she was a massive pop star. And I look at it like uh like professional hockey, right? So I'm Gretzky. Just because I'm playing on the Los Angeles team now doesn't mean I'm gonna half ass it. I'm gonna fucking kick ass and make it my gig. Anywhere you put me, I'm going to do it to the best of my ability and own it. And so people are like, how could he do that? It's so, you know, I fuck you. It no, happens I go a lot. Nito playing with Demi. Dude, yeah. Nuno Betancourt played the Super Bowl with Rihanna. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you something. It's a thousand times harder to get chosen for one of those positions. I'm just letting you know, you know, when they say, uh, I mean, pick any superstar. If Rihanna's looking for a, a guitar player, there's hundreds of guys that come out for that. Right. So you have to be elite to secure that. And of course, Nuno is right. Um, and when I went into those other gigs and some of the pop gigs, I was proud and also, I also got to see stuff that you will never see in the rock and metal community, like, um, you know, like like doing the Rosie O'Donnell show or the Regis and Kelly show or Jimmy Kimmel or or David Letterman and all that stuff. She was doing all that stuff. So I had to get used to like major television appearances and getting you know? up early. Well, and pop, getting up early. Pop stars do that. Rock stars usually don't really early like those morning <laughs> show studios. They're like. They're about like 55 degrees. They're freezing cold. It's at, you get up at 5.30 a.m. It's, but it was a wonderful experience. I learned so much from, from doing all that stuff. And uh, I told this story the other day, but quick story. I was in Vancouver playing with Hillary Duff at some dome place. And Bob Rock's in the front row and uh, with his kids, right? And so I knew I had this, they had carved me out a little solo moment. So I was like right in front of him doing like, fucking shredding throwing a guitar right because i'm like there's bob rock and uh after the gig he came back into the dressing room and he was like you're a great guitar player i was like oh fuck. yeah for anybody that doesn't know who bob rock is like he produced the black album like bob rock is bob motherfucking rock yeah no he's uh you know he's bob rock yeah he's bob rock so uh that was my little interaction with him, which was very cool. But, you know, like after that gig ended, I was over here, played with Alice Cooper for three years, you know, and uh, that was a completely different experience. You know, Alice is a touring machine. He'll tour eight months out of the year uh, and he can go anywhere, like anywhere. South Africa, Alice Cooper gig, no problem. South America, Australia, Alice Cooper. I mean, it's the guy is super world famous. Did he get you into golfing? You know what? He tried. It was, it, it was, it was golf and poker. 
golf and poker. So I, I opted for poker, yeah, that's which probably I, I'm that. not very good at either. Um, but it was like mandatory poker on the bus every night. So he'd come up to the front lounge and be like, poker time. Don't tell Sully you're not good at poker because he'll take your money. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I don't go around advertising. Please, <laughs> please bankrupt me <laughs> with poker. Well, when you're hunkered down during the pandemic and you've got this idea for this four-piece band and you start working on these songs, I'm not a musician, but I would and I would think that the pressure to name a band is like the pressure of naming a kid that you're kind of stuck with it forever and you can't screw it up. So when it yeah. comes time to actually put this band together, what were the band names that didn't make the cut for flat black? Well, first of all, I, I had a, a note on my iPhone that must've had a, a thousand possibilities. And, uh, one of the one of the names that I came up with in the very beginning was Hack the Nar, and it came. It, it was a. It was a. Uh, I there was a famous uh, skateboarder guy named David Hackman, and they, his nickname was Hackman the Nar, and so I shortened it and like Hack the Nar. And the whole concept behind it was that you take gnarly and then you hack it like a life hack, so it's like super gnarly. And I got um, a universal like thumbs down. <laughs> everybody you're like yeah that's 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 horrible um so that didn't make it then there was like day one was it was floating around for a little bit day one uh but you know honest to god flat black i was driving by the mccarran airport in las vegas and somebody had a private jet right next to where i was driving there was like a fence and then there was a pr big private jet and a limo and it was all wrapped in flat black and it just looks so sick. And I'm like, that's just sick. It, there's something about flat black. Like when you're like ultra badass. It's not even shiny. Yeah. It's matte black. You know, you see people doing their Rolls Royces and they like murder it out and all that stuff. And I started thinking that's interesting because black sort of is the color of the community metal all things nasty, heavy, masculine, and all that stuff, right? People, men, black, right? And girls too. Well, you, yeah, I'm just saying. I'm, yeah. This was in my mind, right? Well, especially you. I can see your decor. <laughs> but I uh, am what I am, Jason. Well, then I just thought, but but it was really just driving by the and seeing that jet and the whole thing. It was flat black. I thought somebody took the effort. Because I don't think you can order private jets in flat black. <laughs> Somebody made the effort to deck it all out like that. I thought that's pretty sick. Whose and then plane I, was it? Did you ever find out? Oh, I had no idea. No, I was just driving by. And then I started running it by everyone. And like, that's pretty cool, actually. Flat black. And then I started thinking, easy to pronounce, easy to spell, easy to remember. There's a story behind it as far as being metal in the community of you know that whole thing so i thought okay well that's at the top of the list and then it comes down to like we need a name like by fridays you know you've taken up all the time you were given and uh you took a whole pandemic and you still didn't name the thing yeah well it's you know i i do sort of have a little bit of a commitment problem as far as like what if there's one better what if this one's better you know like i don't know but 
it worked out. Everything, everything works out the way it's supposed to work out. Thanks, Corey Taylor. Right. Trust the process, you know, like, and, and so we just said, okay, it's flat black bucket, you know? And uh, now it's, I'm glad we picked that name because nobody's like, God, why that? No, it's a cool name. Flat black. Earlier this year, I was at a rock radio convention in your hometown in Vegas and you were actually there and came and played some songs for us and kind of talked about the band and what we could expect later this year. Has the reaction from the metal community been what you had hoped now that people have heard some of the music? Across the board, I'm shocked. I'm truly shocked because it's an extremely difficult business, as you know, to advance the ladder of levels, you know, it's extremely difficult. And, uh, and so I was ready for whatever, I, you know, bring it on, whatever it is, it is. I did my best. I put 110% as we all did into this album. And if somebody doesn't like it, that's okay. Because I can say that I did my best. I'll always do my best 110%. And, uh, so it doesn't really matter, but having said that, and back to your question the the reaction's been about 98% positive matter of fact when we we played our first show at Irvine Meadows at at the Five Point Amphitheater this is the first time we ever played live as a band okay. and, and so you know it's it's all this pinch me moment it's actually working so everyone is it's just been amazing what can i say i ask athletes and musicians this same question is it harder to get into the big leagues or is it harder to stay in the big leagues? Hmm. That, that's an interesting, uh, well, you're talking about athletes or musicians. Cause I oh, think it's different. The, the big leagues for athletes, but the big leagues for musicians, meaning record deal song on the radio, big tours, the big league is different, but the concept is the same. Well, I think, um, with, with athletes, you're, your physicality is your only limitation. So injuries and just athletes just have a very short um, lifespan as far as, you know, as soon as you're in your 40s, 50s or whatever, you just don't have the physicality to be an NHL star. But uh, with music, I think it's, I think you have a much longer lifespan. And as long as you continue to create songs that touch the nerve of the public and you can go all the way to you you know you're dead you know as long as something's coming out that gets people excited or makes them receive the emotion it doesn't matter it's like look at cheap trick you know oh, love them look at uh like aerosmith you know i mean speaking uh, of physical limitations that's the only thing that's keeping them off the road right now is steven tyler's fractured larynx which i didn't even know was a thing i didn't either actually but but at at steven's age those are the kind of things that will come up you know um like i i i just think that like motley crew i think they're in the studio i think they're going to release some new music as long as you're putting out stuff that means something to the public you're still in business age with bob rock yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. I mean, age isn't quite the same as as an ath- athlete, you know. Um, let's talk about the music you're talking about. 
How does it work for you? You're a guitar player. So do the song ideas start as riffs always? Is it a melody thing? Is it a lyric thing? Where does the idea come from first? It's a great question because the answer is all of the above. Okay, so when I know that we, we have to, you know, when I know I have to make some music, there's, there is about four or five different things that I can lean on that I know I can go to. A, a, nine times out of 10, it's a drum beat. So I'll hear, like, I'm hearing songs from I Prevail or Atreyu, we're on tour, and I would say to the drummer, I go, this is a great live beat. This groove is great look at people you know so then you know when it comes time to writing i might remember that and type it i might punch in something similar and just play to it that's one way you know focusing on the rhythm the rhythm gets you almost all the way there if you've got an amazing infectious groovy beat whatever it is like enter sandman or you know or unchained or you know like whatever if it's it makes you go fuck Romstein's really good at that like all of their hits have these incredibly infectious grooves right so uh i start there usually i have the privilege of interviewing a lot of different guitar players about their songwriting process so somebody like jerry cantrell told me that he's just constantly recording stuff on his phone when he gets an idea he just kind of records it yeah. But then I talked to a guy like Zach Wild, who kind of almost punches in and he's like, I'm going to go in that room and I'm going to work on one idea and one song and I'm not going to stop till it's done, which are two completely different ways of thinking. Right. How does it work for you? Well, I like to do a little bit, step away, you know? So when I'm working on like, for example, working on the flat black record, I was trying to get like an idea a day sketched out, right? Because the truth is it starts with music. So so I'm trying to create, okay, this is a really good groove. What could the verse be? I don't want to change it up for the verse. Let's stay in this pocket. This feels good. Just have the singer start. I think a big mistake is that um, a lot of songwriters, I shouldn't say a lot of songwriters, a lot of maybe rock bands think that every time you switch into a verse or a pre-chorus or it, the music has to change. And I think that that that's a lot of data for the on the uh, you know the the foreign ear to to track all those changes and stuff. I find that um, a very easy trick is to try to establish a vibe and don't break the vibe. Don't break it. Just stay there. You know, a lot of the biggest songs that we all know and love, if you really pull them apart and examine them, the music is very simple and just stays put. You know, there isn't all these left turns and weird mathematical time signatures and all that stuff. It's my theory. It's always been my theory that human beings are analog. It's very simple. It goes back to primitive times. They, the human beings like to sing and dance. That's it. Right. So you shook me all night long and my beer, it tastes good. And my friends are here <laughs> and that's it. That's it. As soon as you start to fuck with those two elements, you're 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 asking for trouble. Do you, you know? remember the first guitar riff that you ever mastered and were like, "Oh my god, I think I'm good at this thing?" Well, it's there yes, it, as a the, kid, as a the, kid. 
the first thing I learned how to play on guitar, and I was six years old when I started playing guitar. I was six years old. It was the the theme from The Young and Restless. <laughs> Nobody has ever given me that answer. <laughs> Is that a riff? I've heard Deep thought... Purple Smoke on the Water. I've never heard Young and the Restless. It was right. It was, and then the second thing I learned how to play was Mr. Speed from Kiss off of Rock and Roll Over. It's pretty simple. It's really simple. But it, as soon as you hear yourself replicating something that's on a record, you've been bitten. It's over. You're like, are you all like, fuck, listen to this. And, or, and then I was like, hit me with your best shot. Take this out, check this out. And they're like, holy fuck, it's amazing. <laughs> and you get bitten, you know? When did you realize you could write songs? Um, It's funny that you say that because for whatever reason, and I'm not sure how this happened, but for, for whatever reason, um. I always wanted to be a creator and an original. So I had bands when I was like eight or nine years old. I had a band and I just thought, yes, we're fans of our favorite bands and that's great, but you can't copy that, right? It sucks because everyone like, I see that, that formula works. That's easy. I can do that. That's a mistake. That's already happened. And they love that. You, your only chance is to try to like soak up a few of the whatever you, you take from that, put it in your blender, mash it all up, and then send your thing that way. That's the only thing. And I think a lot of bands make mistakes. Like, I don't understand why we're not signed. Our shit falls perfectly in line with what's happening out there. Well, you and every other band is doing the same thing. So unless you've got incredible songs, if you're form if you're copying whatever the current sound is it's just not that interesting i think it's i think you stand a chance of seeing more success if you invent something and if it works you're the only one out there that is that like there's only one pink floyd there wasn't a whole fucking colony of pink floyds right so if you come up with that they, you're the only place that people can go to get that so you've cornered the marketplace. It's perfect. So I'm more, I don't know why, but I've always had that in my mind. It's like, yes, I love all that. I love this fantastic stuff. But if you copy it, you're just a copy. You've got to take what you like from that, mash it all up, and then send your version of whatever all that is that way. Is Flat Black releasing a cassette? This seems to be a new, I get the vinyl resurgence. The cassette resurgence is a little bit weird for me that that thing's coming back. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that recently and I'm thinking, okay, vinyl I can understand because, but cassettes, like, I we don't know. We already did if, that and it didn't really go. I mean, they were great for portability. Right. But the number two pencil was essential in the process. Right. For winding, you mean? Yes. Well, we used to. Going way back, and I don't understand the cassette thing, but if it, if people love cassettes and it makes sense to make cassettes, well, then yes, 100%. I would love to just on principle say, look, I have a flat black cassette. Why not, right? Um, but, but I think I can understand the allure of vinyl, right? Because, yeah, me too. Because people can get a, a turntable and it's an experience of like handling it carefully. And it's so big that you get to enjoy full-size artwork and Sounds vinyl. Cool and 
vinyl sounds a specific way. I thought cassettes were all sounded like shit. Me too. Uh, That's why I don't understand why they're back. Yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. There's, it's, it's definitely, in my opinion, an, an inferior um, medium. You know, like I, I don't get it. But cool. I tell you what was good though when they came out with like with the 120 minute max L's or whatever. So you could actually, we used to sit there, me and my buddies on Saturday night and we put our vinyl on and we do one song at a time and make these incredible 120 minute compilations of our favorite songs. Now that was special. There was no better way to express your feelings to a girl than a mixtape. Mixtape. Yeah. Well, because you know why? Well, okay. So, so music really, to me, I look at music like movie soundtracks, right? It's supposed to set an emotion. It's supposed to create a vibe. So it's all about the vibe. Like, I like this song. Do I know what they're talking about? Not really, but it's a smooth vibe. It's like, it's like, uh, who does the Chris Wicked Ways, the fucking. Oh, Chris Isaac. Chris Isaac. Thanks. Okay. So do I know what he's talking about? Not really. Do I give a shit? Not really. The song has a great vibe. To bring back Corey Taylor, you got to hear him do Wicked Game. It's fantastic okay okay yeah he did it acoustic in my studio and i was like right it was almost but, romantic oh i'll have to go check it out it's on spotify i'm assuming yeah, i'm yeah. sure it's around the, yeah did he record it pro or is it a video of a performance of it well he i think he released a version of it but he's played it live a bunch of times and it's just a great version but to go back to what you're saying like it's just a good song it creates a, a vibe yeah like I like this vibe. It may, puts me in a certain mood, and it doesn't change. That's what I was going back to what I said earlier. Like some people set this incredible vibe, and then all of a sudden they take off in some weird direction. You're like, ah, why'd you do that? You know. Anyway, um, I forgot the original question. <laughs> we were talking about I'm cassettes. A, what cassette? So I bring it up because what cassette did you burn out more copies of listening to music growing up than any other album? Um, well, I'll be honest. I had, I stole synchronicity from the department store. (laughs) Back in the day, they used to have a big bin and just topped full of like loose floating cassettes, you know, on sale. So me and my buddy used to like go, I can, no, we didn't talk. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, my dad, God bless him rest his soul my dad loved the police because i was playing stuff for my dad all the time he's like this is really upper level highbrow intelligent stuff so it was like roger waters the police he used to love all that stuff so we would jam that stuff on our vacations and our trips and stuff like that so synchronicity was the first cassette i started to to to, to degrade to the point where it was needed to be replaced you know i ask every songwriter this question because As much as I'm surrounded by prolific musicians in my career, I do not share your ability to write songs. And as you can tell, I'm fascinated by the process. So from a songwriter's perspective, is there a song that you go, that is a brilliantly crafted song? It's perfect, and I wish I wrote it. Break it down from a songwriter's perspective. Well, there's tons of them. There's tons of them. Uh, okay, so it and it runs the gamut. So, I think uh, "Redneck" by Lamagon is a fucking great song. Like all those sections, I think 
Um, Carry On Our Wayward Son by Kansas is immaculate. It's like hook after hook. It's just the whole thing, top to bottom. If you can come up with those, you're in business. I think uh, um, Shallow, Lady Gaga, it's a great song. Yeah. Um, I heard like 16 people doing that karaoke when I was in Vegas recently. It was just everywhere. I thought, uh, okay, you you might knock me from this, but there was a Shania Twain song called In This Moment. Oh, I know that song. It gets played at every wedding ever. From this moment. From this moment, yeah. Sorry, I was just thinking about Maria and her band and stuff, but from this moment is, in my opinion, perfectly crafted. And Mutt Lang, even though he's an upstart, um he had okay. <laughs> i know I'm like an upstart <laughs> and, no he's he's working on it yeah and he'll, he'll he's get gonna there, go he, places someday he, he nailed that one i yeah. mean it's just it's beautiful it's a beautiful song uh the like the performances every section counts every time your ear is sort of needing a little thing he puts it in there i mean he's a crafts craftsman you know like and uh and I just, I love what he represents. I love what he has done because his focus, like people, I was like, I don't like the mutt like laying sound. Fuck, forget all that. He's paying attention to the sections, right? So he would be very hard on bands like ACDC when he did Black and Black. He'd be like, just give me everything you have, every riff, blah, 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 blah. And I'll put them together. And they're like, no, we, we don't love that riff. He goes, too bad. That's an amazing riff. That's going second. And we need a third riff. Has anyone got anything? And he would, like, he's really focused on the quality of the sections. So your intro should be as potent as your chorus. Your solo should be as potent as the verse and the outro. And it, everything should count. And I love that. I have to ask you this question. And I preface it by saying, blame geezer. It's not my fault. I never in a million years would have asked this question before, but Geezer Butler let it slip on the show that he's got 13 cats and five dogs. And then when I asked him, how do you keep track of all of them? He told me that him and his wife, Gloria, named them all after gangster rappers. And after Geezer Butler said that to me, every rock star gets asked the Geezer question on the show now. Tell me about your pets and how you got their names. (laughs) You have any, are you aware of anything or my pets at all? No. Okay. Because I, uh, I'm sort of a self-professed like cat lover. I and, uh, wait. I've seen video of you backstage playing with kittens, but that's common yeah. at rock shows. That like they, the animal shelters will bring animals. So I didn't. Yeah. That. Well, okay. So we have four cats. We have four cats, and uh, it's uh, uh, Gibson the Explorer. Uh. Uh, Mr. Farnsworth the third, which makes no sense, but it's just it is what it is. And then I have uh, two brothers that are General Patton and General Montgomery. I'm getting balloons. How does that work? It's happening with your hand gestures, and I don't know why. Like you went like this, and you got a thumbs up on the screen. I don't know. I know. I don't know. It's interesting. Anyway, so I'm thoroughly cat whooped. And then to add to the four that cats that I have in the house. We started to notice some feral cats outside on our cameras and we started putting food and water out for them. And like that was four years ago. Now we have like a little community of ferals that we take care of. There's only three and we call them the outsiders, but they let us pick them up and hold them. And they, well, I can yell 
into the neighborhood and they'll all come. It's it's pretty rad. I've never had a boring answer about the geezer question. I have to ask it. I have to. To go one level further, um, we created an Instagram profile for our cats. It's called Fur Dynasty. Um, it's fur underscore dynasty. So I have an Instagram for my dog, Wednesday the Goth Pug. They need to follow (laughs) each other now. Okay, killer. Um, All right, before I let you go, because I know you're busy, run down everything for the rest of the year and early next year with Flat Black. You're out on the road with Godsmack till the end of October. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Everything is happening at warp speed. Um, Well, obviously, this tour came up unexpectedly. So we're on this tour. We shifted all of our focus on we were working on album sequence and album artwork and what songs to pick and all that stuff. And all of a sudden, this tour came dropped in our lap. So we switched everything to tour mode. So, yes, we will be finishing this tour up until the end of October. Um, We're trying to drum up more tours. If that doesn't happen, this is the truth. I have to come up with album artwork that's the only thing that's oh there it is there's the thumb yeah see i told you that's the only thing that i have left to come up with is what makes an amazing album cover um and beyond that the album will come out in march first thing in march um we wanted to come out sooner than that but there's a lot of traffic plus this tour happens so we just said let's make it easy and thoroughly prepare for a release that's march um then my guess would be the remainder of 2024 uh, will be touring as much as possible. But here's the other layers that uh, I we're already starting on the second flat black record. When we finished the first record, there was probably three times that amount of material in the folder. So uh, there's another second record that could be put together quite quickly. And I'd like to get one out quite quickly. So I would imagine maybe at the end of 2024, another record, you know, pulling a red hot chili peppers and releasing two in the same year. Oh, I, yeah. I'm not afraid of that at all. That's the old, that's the old kiss model. You know, like they were like, you don't like this one. Cool. Here's another one. Like if you look at the back of kiss records, it would say 1974. And then the next one would be 1974. And then the next one would be 1975. And like they were cranking. The Beatles did it. Zeppelin did it. It's unbelievable how many records these bands that are amazing artists were able to churn out at such a high quality. Yes. And I I honestly think, based off my experience from the last band, that um, it's better to release more quicker than to stew on something trying to make it absolutely perfect. It's better to, you know, not not get too crazy and keep the content coming, especially in today's environment of immediacy and it's a consumer uh, lifestyle is just about consumption, consumption, consumption. You know, like when we put our flat black songs up on Spotify a month ago, the it peaked monthly listeners and then it's coming down. They want more. They're going two is it two isn't enough. I love these two, but I, I need more. I need an, uh, another record. Well, that's what I was going to ask you, because there are some artists that are just completely abandoning the idea of a full album at all, and they're just going to release singles. But it sounds like you still want to be able to release a body of work. Yeah, there's if there's no way you're ever going to see an EP from Flat Black. (laughs) No way. I refuse. Finish your fucking record. I mean, come (laughs) on. 
you know, there's no way. Like, we could do it. No, we're never doing an EP. We're going to make our fucking record every 18 months. And that, and we're going to work hard. I don't want to test the water. Let's test the waters. No, man, we're a band. We're a real band. Everyone's included. And we, we're going to make... I don't like EPs. There's the answer. Yeah, you could tell. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for hanging out with me, Jason. It was so great to see you and be able to sit down and talk about the music and anxiously awaiting. Have you been able to announce the title of the album or are you going to wait till you get the the artwork done? The album of the title is still under wraps. Um, I have three or four that I've been circulating. We do. This is important. We're dropping a, another, a third single will come out October 18th called Justice Will Be Done. And it's a face peeler. So bring protection. <laughs> Well, tell the guys from Godsmack I said hi, and uh, they're going to be here on the 27th, but I don't see that date on your website, so I think you might be off the tour by then. I think we're completing the entire thing, so yes, I think Oh, you we are, are going to be here, yes! Unless I'm wrong, but I just want to tell you, Kara, I love your show, Thank and you. uh, and I and I do very much appreciate you inviting me on, and if you ever need me for anything, just hit me up. Oh, don't tell me that. I'll put you to work. Well, I'm I'm good with it. I like doing this stuff. As you can tell, I'm a bit of a chatty No, me too, and I love it because, you know, we can talk about the album all day, but it's all of the other stuff that's super interesting too, so. Well, thank you. Thank you again for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, no worries. I'm going to go log on and follow your cats on Instagram. Dick, man. And send me an invite so I can, if you follow my cats, make sure you DM me how to follow your Wednesday. Your yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> When did this happen to us that we're managing social media pages for our animals? You know what? Simple pleasures. <laughs> Simple pleasures, right? That's right. Well, I'll see you at the end of the month then at the SNHU Arena in Manchester with Godsmack. I look forward to it, Carrie. Thank you very much. You got it. We'll see you later. There he is, Jason Hook from Flat Black. Their new single, Justice Will Be Done, is out today. And you can find it featured on the corresponding playlist for this episode. I make a playlist for every full-length episode of the podcast that features all of my guest music and all the artists and songs that we referenced in the interview. Just check the link in the show notes. If you liked what you heard, don't forget to like, follow, and subscribe to the Mistress Carrie podcast. New full-length episodes come out every Wednesday. Plus, every weekday, you get the sit rep, which is all your rock news, music headlines, and entertainment industry updates in about five minutes. And you never know when we're gonna release a bonus episode. Including this week, check out my conversation with Pat Badger from Extreme. In the show notes, you'll also find all of the links to track down Jason Hook and Flat Black, and even his cats. And you'll find all of my links as well. Join me live every Tuesday night at 8.30 Eastern for my weekly video show, Cocktails in the War Room. And you can always find me on the radio. Get info on all that and more at mistresscarry.com. The Mistress Carrie Podcast, a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network.